There's a passage of scripture found in Exodus chapter 4, where God is having a conversation with Moses. Moses was struggling to fulfill what he was called to do, to go to Pharaoh and to ask for his people to be let go. And so God chose to give him a helper. He allowed Aaron to deliver and to be a part of the words that were placed on Moses' heart. This morning, these words are not my words, but instead, not as your brother, but as your sister. I get to deliver these words that are placed on my brother's heart. And so this morning, I am not alone, just as we as Christians are never alone. We are to do things together. do most preachers, I thought about my final sermon ever since I preached my first, one at Jonesboro Baptist Church 36 years ago this month. What would I say for the last time? I thought my opportunity had passed, but Jana called me last week and asked if I would write a sermon that would be delivered today. With my health problems, I cannot preach myself, but I am grateful for Jana for creating this opportunity. As she is a West Virginia fan on staff, I have created a test sentence to make sure that she is repeating my sermon verbatim. Is she aware that this Saturday, the number three team in the country is playing another team who is not the number three team in the country? (laughs) If she is reading that, then she is reading correctly. I am uncomfortable talking about myself, particularly about my health. But many of you have asked. I developed a blood clot in my leg three years ago. Since I did not have the typical symptoms, I was unaware that the problem until God stepped in to make me aware. Lori was in Nicaragua preparing for the arrival of a mission team from Fifth Avenue Baptist Church. Once the team arrived, she planned to remain with them for a few days. Soon after she returned home, She and I were leaving on a Mediterranean cruise to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary, a trip that had been delayed several years until our kids graduated from college. Lori decided to come home early, then scheduled, because of Hurricane Ernesto was turning in the Caribbean. With our anniversary trip at the end of the week, she could not risk experiencing flight delays. In retrospect, Lori was listening to God's voice. I am alive today because of her sensitivity to God. Actually, I have been blessed for 35 years because my precious wife has always been an unwavering follower of God. 
always seeking God in all things. Lori has been more aware of the sins of God than anyone I have ever known. I may have the title Pastor Emeritus, but Lori is the one who you all should have gotten to know over these past 15 years. When Lori arrived home from Nicaragua three years ago, I told her that I had pulled a muscle in my leg. With the big anniversary trip just a few days away, she convinced me to go see a doctor. Testing revealed that I had a deep thrombosis vein, a blood clot, basically the full length of my right leg. It was discovered that the clot had broken off, passed through my heart, and now was numerous places in my lungs. We had gone from planning to see the Parthenon to hoping to see the next day. Thanks to the care of expertise and the persistence of some medical professionals, people to whom I will always be grateful, I am still here. God is good. Some members of my medical team have suggested that I was only 48 hours away from dying when the blood clot was discovered. If Lori had not discerned God's nudging in the storm to come home early, I probably would not have survived. Several members of my medical team have told us that I was unexpectedly lucky to have survived. God exceeds luck. The clot did their long-term damage. In addition to the continuing clot in my leg, I am left with very little stamina, a great deal of pain, the inability to breathe well, a weak voice, along with other complications. On Sunday, June the 14th of this year, they all caught up with me. Many of you were aware of how much I struggled that day. I remained outside of worship during that part of the chapel service, trying to breathe and catch my breath. I completed both sermons in both services, but I think more of you were wavering and waging whether or not I would finish, whether than you were listening to what I had to say. I went into the office the next day, but the time I returned home that night, I knew I could not continue. I called our disability insurance company the next day. After explaining my situation, I will never forget the words I heard on the other end of the phone. You are done. She explained that if I could not work, then I had no choice but to step down immediately. Someone else would have to take care of those things. And she was right. Many trusted advisors had been urging me to step down for quite a while. They insisted that in my condition, to try to keep going was not fair to you as a church, not fair to me as a person, and certainly not fair to my family. I would later learn that some of my medical team thought I should have stepped down right away when I was first diagnosed with such a severe condition. But in June, I recognized that I needed to. I wanted to resist the idea. The son of a coach always wants to finish the game. I had pushed myself to the point that I could not go on. In fact, when the next Sunday morning rolled around, I told Lori that there was no way 
that I could have preached. The decision to step down immediately was the right one. It was all that I could do. I have even told that lady at the insurance company that she probably saved my life when she explained that disability meant I could not go back to work. Personally, my greatest struggle was that God had called me to do this. How does a person decide that he or she is no longer being called? Remember the text for today. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For me, the only way to set free from that purpose was to have no other choice. I knew that I had reached the end of my work when I got there, not one day earlier. In the Baptist tradition, when ministers step down, many insist that he or she will step away completely to allow the church to move forward. I have honored that request. Not being with you during these days, even for worship, has been the hardest thing I have ever done. My heart, my mind, my prayers, and even my tithe have been here. I just have been away physically. I wish things were different. I wish that I had helped to continue sharing the journey of faith with you as your pastor. But now, you need to move on to the church that God is calling you to be in the next season of life. I pray that you will find God's way. I chose a mighty fortress as our opening hymn today because it reminds us that God is our strength no matter what happens. Martin Luther's rendition of the 46th Psalm is not only my favorite hymn, but it has served me well over my days. Enough about my health. Over the years, I imagined all the profound things that I would offer in my last sermon. Now that it's here, I'll leave the profound for those who think that they are. (laughs) Instead, I will reiterate that I have said to you numerous times. In case you missed it, these are the primary subjects that I have preached over the years. I hope they will help the church find her way. In case you missed it, I preached about loving God. Loving God is the primary basis for life. The water, the world is reverted to the recent prospect of discovering water on Mars because they think water is the basis for life. They are wrong. I do not have any idea if there is water on Mars, nor am I really concerned if there are Martians on Mars. They are wrong about the basis for life. It is not water, although we need that to live. We also need food to live, and we need oxygen to live. You could argue that we even need money to live, but real living requires a love for God. We are not living unless we love God. Jesus said that we must love God so deeply 
when compared to our love for other things, it looks like we hate them. I preached a Mother's Day sermon one year based on Jesus' words, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, such a person cannot be my disciple. I'm not sure that the mothers in worship that day appreciated the text. They missed the point. As deep as our loves are for many things, they cannot compare to the love that we have for God. A great number of loves enter this sanctuary each week. My concern was not so much about the other things that we loved, but rather about their place in the value system of our lives. In case you missed it, loving God is the primary basis for life. In case you missed it, I preached about loving others. Loving each other is proof that we love God. When I was a youth minister decades ago, I printed the following words on my letterhead. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If church people don't love church people, then why would anyone else want to be a church person? No two people in the room completely agree on everything. Boy, do I know that. I think some people don't even agree with themselves. The Christian evidence is to love in spite of all of those differences. God hurts when his children allow anything to diminish the love that they have for each other. When we do not love each other, we hurt God. If we love God, then we must love each other. Fifth Avenue Baptist Church has been a group of people in which a variety of opinions, perspectives, and interpretations have found a home. That is part of being Baptist. Pastoring Baptists, all my ministry gave me a sense of how difficult it must have been for Noah to convince all those animals to go and enter into the same door. (laughs) I chose Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, as another hymn for today because it merges one of everyone's old favorite hymns with a new words of celebration and of grace. Everyone should be able to appreciate this song. I was always sad when the means of worship or any personal preference kept people from loving each other well. In case you missed it, I preach that our differences are only a problem when they interfere with us loving each other. In case you missed it, I have a grandson. Excuse me. Have you heard that I have a grandson? <laughs> In case you missed it, I preached about inreach. Inreach gives us credibility to claiming that we love each other. Inreach is about taking care of each other. I love you is just a string of words unless we do something with them. Inreach is about timing and presence. 
When I was a pastor in Central Texas, I started my tradition of praying with people before they went into surgery. It was easier in those days because people usually went to the hospital the night before a surgery. Now we report to the hospital the morning of. I never could understand how fab members always seem to have the first surgery. (laughs) Until my health prohibited me, I maintained practice of seeing people before surgery. It was not because I thought I was integral to the success of a surgery. It was because caring is about timing and it's about presence. It is the same with everything. One of the greatest hints that I can give a couple for a successful marriage is timing and presence. If you do not know what I mean about timing, try showing up for an apology a day late. Then you will understand. Regarding presence, be there. Be there even when you don't know what to say. You heard me say at the beginning of every funeral, how important it was that you were present. Sometimes you can't, but when you possibly can, be there. That's how you care. In case you missed it, loving each other is more than a feeling or a phrase. In case you missed it, I preached about outreach. Outreach is sharing the good news of Christ with others and bringing them into the family of faith. Unbelievers, including family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, and our casual acquaintances. God may have led them across your path for only one reason, for you to share Christ with them. Outreach is everyone's job not just a task solely for ministers. Actually, it is more meaningful when someone besides a minister shares the gospel because ministers are paid to do it, and they suspect. Everyone must share the gospel with those we know. The last words of Jesus on earth were that he must share his story in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The people whom Jesus were talking to were not seminarians or professional pastors and preachers. They were fishermen, government workers, family members, and business people. He was talking to every believer. He was not giving us a burden This is the best news that we could ever tell someone. A child cannot wait to tell his parents that they got an A. A parent can't wait to announce an achievement of her child. Businessmen love to promote their success. People love to share good news. If you don't believe me, get on Facebook. People share the great news that their cat can play a piano and everyone celebrates with them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news in the history of the world. If you know someone in your life who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, you should contact that person as soon as you get home. 
God may have wanted their contact information in your phone to make that phone call this afternoon. In case you missed it, I preached about sharing the gospel in one way or another every sermon. We may live in a city of churches, but so many people in Huntington have such an undervalued relationship with Christ that they do not even gather with others to celebrate him on a weekly basis. Bring them in. In case you missed it, I preached about spiritual growth. None of us have arrived spiritually. We all have room for growth. It's not good when we place our responsibility for our spiritual growth in one place. The largest building in this church is used for one hour during the week. This room houses the highest attendance event in the weekly life at the church, Sunday morning worship. That part is good, but worship cannot be everything. Worship was always a holy struggle for me. Some of the hearers were very young and did not understand my words, while others were not so very young and thought they had already heard everything. Some were not believers, and others had accepted Christ as their Savior many decades ago. Some skipped into the room with joy to be in the presence of God, and others crawled into the room overburdened by grief and by pain. At the same time, some in the room were more focused on earthly matters. They were concerned about the clothes that they had on or the clothes that somebody else had on. Some were bothered by the clapping of hands during the service while others were uncomfortable with silence. Some were wondering if they had turned on or off the stove at home and others were trying to decide which restaurant they were eating at after worship. I know these things because I text my family sometimes about the same things. My job was to be present, the voice of God to all those different people. That burden became lighter when I realized that the most important part of worship does not happen in this room. It occurs before we get here. Worship relies on the spiritual growth during the week. Prayers and worship should be a continuation of an open conversation that you have had with God every day of the week. Reading the scriptures should be another paragraph added to the many Bible readings that you have done throughout the week. The, the music should be congregational version of how you have been praising God all week. This sermon should be a lesson that reinforces what we have studied in our Bible studies, Sunday school classes, and small groups throughout the week. Spiritual growth during the week creates expectation for worship. Through our individual expectations, the preacher becomes the voice of God to wherever we are on our journeys. In case you missed it, I preached about the value of Bible studies and personal faith because spiritual growth cannot be accomplished in worship alone. In case you missed it, I preached about missions. It's not 
about us. The story of the gospel is not about us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you knew he would appear somewhere, once wrote, The church is the church only when it exists for others. Fab is here for the purpose of those who are not here. When we went to the poor in Mexico, we were church. When we went to an orphanage in Nicaragua, we were church. When we went to the herding along the Gulf Coast after Hurricane Katrina, we were church. When we went to the homeless at the Huntington City Mission, we were church. When we assisted in the flood-raged communities in West Virginia, we were church. When we went to the widows in our community, we were church. When we saw the sick people in the hospital, we were church. When we raked leaves, built wheelchair ramps, and took food, we were church. When we shared the love of Jesus with anyone outside of these columns of this building, we were church. Why was mission so important to me? Because that is being church. Church is defined by her mission. A church only focusing on herself, her own needs, and her personal preferences will implode within herself. I talked about missions because an organization of people without a heart for missions is not a church. In case you missed it, it's not about us. As best as I can remember the commitment hymn on the Sunday that I declared publicly that God had called me to the ministry many years ago was, Wherever he leads, I'll go. I chose that hymn as our final hymn today because I am glad that he led my family to yours. I decided that the last words of my final sermon to you should come down to this concluding thought. It sums up my 15-plus ministry years here with you. It defines my calling, and it captures what I had been trying to say in 1,697 sermons that I preached in my ministry. It's the only thing that really matters. In case you missed it, You only have eternal life with God in heaven by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. The scripture says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No one goes to heaven by going on a mission trip. No one goes to heaven by belonging to Fifth Avenue Baptist Church. No one meets God by being baptized. No one has a free pass to God's throne because they were raised in a church. No one enters the Father's house by being a good church person. We go to heaven by accepting Jesus as the Lord of our lives and believing his story of salvation believing that it is true. Commit your souls to God 
through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. In case you missed it, that's what I was trying to tell you. That's what I was trying to say. Please, don't miss it now. Let us pray together. Dear God, if there is anybody in this room that has missed that you are Savior and Lord, that you came to die for our sins so that we could spend eternity with you forever, if there is anyone in this room right now that does not know Jesus as their personal Savior, I pray that Alan's words will echo in their hearts in this very moment that you are a God of love and a God of grace and a God of redemption. I pray, God, that you will be with our brother. I pray that you will give him strength and courage to walk each day as your disciple. Thank you for his leadership and his love for his fellow brothers and sisters. Thank you for his family. Most of all, God, thank you for allowing us to be on this journey together. We thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.